Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Wednesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. Sadie and Bernie are taking your calls this morning at 1850-333-103. You can text or WhatsApp 86 at 2103-103. And the government late yesterday evening finally published their green list of countries deemed safe to visit and advising travellers to take normal precautions. The general advice, though, even with this list of 15 countries, the general advice still being given to passengers and those leaving uh, the country is the safest thing is not to travel and to holiday at home in Ireland. But it's 15 countries have made the list. We've been sort of speculating all week that 11 would make the list, but it actually went to 15. Malta, Finland, Norway, Italy, Hungary, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Cyprus, Slovakia, Greece, Greenland, that's a surprise one, Gibraltar, Monaco and San Marino. I, I was reading down through that list uh, yesterday evening and I was thinking, oh, I sound like it's something from the Eurovision Song Contest. Anyway, they're the countries that are on the green uh, list. What does it mean? The green list means that people arriving here from those countries or people returning from those 15 named countries will not have to quarantine for the two weeks. But the decision uh, comes after what a lot of people are perceiving was probably the first split of the new uh, government because yesterday, in advance of that green list being published, you had the Thornishta Leo Varadkar suggesting that the green list should possibly be scrapped. He said it was wrong to send out mixed messages about international travel. Uh, but he did add if the travel advice from countries on the green list isn't different to advice from other countries, then we would be better off, he said, simply not having a green list at all. Michal Martin was pu- pushed about if people do decide to travel or we know people are still coming into this country not just from the green list people are coming from all over the world he was asked about 
should we not now be looking at testing people at the airports? But he ruled that out, saying that the health chiefs had advised against it. And I'd love to know why are they advising against testing at airports? Because again, we know other countries are doing our testing at airports. I wonder why our health experts are saying no to the testing at airports. And, you know, I won't accept an excuse of cost because I think what simply you do is if you are allowing people into into the country and you're telling people in advance that you're going to have to get tested, then they cover the cost of the test. The traveller coming into this country or somebody returning to this country. And I think if you you want to come to this country bad enough, I think you will accept that you've got to be tested and you will accept that you've got to cover the cost of it yourself. So we'll try and find out why are the health chiefs so uh, against it. Then he was pushed about mandatory quarantine. Again, this is happening in other countries. People are taken off the plane and they are put into hotels uh, where they have to pay for themselves for the two weeks and they are forced to stay in that hotel for two weeks and it is a mandatory quarantine. But he was against that and he quoted as a reason for being against it was that it has actually increased the spread of the virus in other countries. And I think what he is uh, talking about there is Melbourne because that's where Melbourne had COVID-19 under control and they were quarantining people as soon as they arrived in Melbourne and it was in some of the hotels where they were being quarantined. People were breaking the rules, including the security guards who were meant to be making sure that everybody was quarantined in the hotel. So I think he's that's what he's citing as a reason for not having mandatory quarantining in this country. Now, customers and airlines in recent days were still left a little bit perplexed by shifting positions on travel advice. Travel agents declared that the list is going to cause confusion for both inbound and outbound travellers unless advice relating to countries identified as safe to travel has changed. Their Travel Agents Association said that a decision must be made between cancelling flights and offering compensation are lifting the non-essential travel ban for these green listed countries. Of particular concern is the fact that many customers were not entitled to refunds if the customer decides to cancel the holiday, but the flight still goes ahead. And we certainly have heard from people to this programme who had decided that no, not going to take the risk, not going to go away on holidays. But because their flight went ahead, the airline said, well, tough, your seat on the plane was there for you. You didn't show up and you're not going to get any kind of a refund, which has been really a, a a tough pill to swallow for people who had spent their hard-earned cash on a holiday. And many people save for, you know, a long period of time. You know, you, many people save from year to year if it's a big family holiday and then to lose out the money. Now, a lot of the airlines have been good about offering refunds or offering vouchers and others are allowing people to defer the holiday to next year. Even though I have heard of people who decided when the company got on to them, cancelling the holiday for this year, we'll take the same week next year. But they've, I've heard of a couple of people who've had to pay more for the holiday for for next year. So even though people are getting money back and we're getting refunds, there is that kind of feeling that we'll all ultimately end up paying back any kind of a saving that we might have made uh, on it. But just on the whole issue 
of travel and the green list which is now out uh, by the government and where how people feel and you know what people are deciding to do Teresa has contacted us because she had a work meeting and it was all to do with COVID-19 last week and at the meeting the line manager told them that if any of the workers decide to go abroad on holidays then the company expects that person to take two weeks unpaid leave when they come home they're saying we don't want you back and work for two weeks self-isolate. I mean, they can't, the company can't force them to self-isolate, but that's what they're suggesting that the workers do. But the sting in the tail is, you must take the two weeks off and we're not going to pay you for it. Teresa was on to us, a bit annoyed about it and wondering, is that legal? Are there labour laws that can dictate that a company can tell you that you must pay, take two weeks unpaid leave? Now, she said the company's advice is not to travel overseas, but obviously they can't force a worker. If they've got the two weeks holidays, they can't stop them going anywhere. But the general advice is is not to go overseas but if you do, then you must take this unpaid leave. Teresa was thinking of going to one of the countries on the green list. Now, she says if she does decide to go to one of the 15 countries, she says that she will be very careful. She will abide by all of the rules and regulations that are in place for that particular uh, country. She says she will do social distancing, for example. She said if she arrives in a country and they're asking to wear masks, she said she will willingly wear masks. So she doesn't feel that she would be in any danger of picking up COVID. COVID-19 overseas are um, bringing it um, back. She can't afford two weeks unpaid leave. She can afford to go away on a little bit of a holiday, but she can't afford two weeks unpaid leave. She's wondering, are other companies asking their workers to do the same thing? And could anybody give her clarity from a labour law point of view? Are companies allowed to say to somebody, well, if you decide to go overseas, which is technically against government advice, because the government are still saying that their best advice is they say the safest thing is not to travel. So please holiday at home this summer. That's the advice that's coming from the uh, government and as Teresa says, her own company is advising her not to travel, but they can't force her to do it. So she's just wondering the legalities of it. Can a company impose that rule whereby you would have to stay at home for two weeks after your overseas trip, but it would have to be unpaid? Now, I think Teresa's point is she wouldn't mind self-quarantining or self-isolating for the two weeks, but she would expect to get paid for it. I think that was the point that she was making. I... I don't think your company is standing out like a sore thumb that it's the only company that's doing this, uh, Teresa. I feel sure that there are many, many other companies taking the very same line uh, to protect the other workers and to make sure that they're going to keep their business up and running. So I don't, you know, I'd be... And I don't know what the the legal laws on it are, you know, the labour laws on it, if perhaps there's somebody listening will be able to tell us, can companies actually say that to their employers that if you go overseas, fine, we can't stop you going overseas, but if you do go overseas, when you come back, you need to stay away from work and you need to do it for two weeks. Um, Let us know if your company has a similar ruling in place and can you understand why your company and why Teresa's company is asking her to do the same thing. 1850 
50 at 333 103. I did, there's a lot of comments on the a child care worker that's tested positive. This is at a Dublin crash after COVID-19. And according to some newspaper reports today, the, that child care worker who tested positive had recently returned from a trip abroad. Now, seemingly some parents have expressed concern that the crash where the person works hasn't closed its doors after the case was confirmed of a positive coronavirus. Parents whose children attend to the facility, it's it's somewhere in Dublin's north side, that's as much detail as I have about it. They received a message telling them that a childcare worker had tested positive for COVID-19. The memo said that the member of staff attended work on one day July 13th and then it's since tested positive for COVID-19. The memo sent last weekend said any parents of those children who had been in contact with the worker had been contacted individually. Tests have been arranged, they say, for a small number of staff and members who had also been in contact with the workers. Some parents were surprised to discover that the facility remained open in the wake of the COVID-19 test and some parents felt they were a bit worried uh, about that. There was one mother quoted in some of the papers today saying my daughter was due to go back on Monday but I held off after I heard about the case. Now it's making me doubt sending her uh, back. And I'm assuming a lot of other parents, I wonder how many children actually uh, turned up but I suppose in the could you see this as a defence for the creche we know that all of the childcare facilities they're working in pods for these, for this very, for a case like this, that if someone in a pod tests positive, it'll only be the workers and the children within that group then will have to be tested because they'll be their known contacts and everybody else in the other pods will be okay. So I'm assuming that that's the reason why they've decided to remain open. And um, but but people, I think, would be surprised to hear of a crash that gets a positive 19 case and then they decide to remain open. Would you be slow to send your daughter? Would you be with that mother who said, "Uh, yeah, I was sending my daughter in, but I don't know. I I decided not to, even though she said she's she's under a lot of pressure herself working. She's working from home and having two smallies at home that she wants to get them back into uh, the creche because it will make working a lot easier for 1850 333103. But it'll be interesting if it is confirmed that that worker who tested positive for COVID-19 had just returned from a trip abroad because it ties in with Teresa's story. If that creche had said to workers, if you're going anywhere overseas, you must stay at home for two weeks. They wouldn't be finding themselves in the situation that they're in where she tested positive and then other members of staff now also have to go forward for uh, testing. And staycationing, they're still on about staycationing and the government's trying to encourage all of us to holiday here in uh, Ireland. And we've mentioned this, this idea that the government will in some way subsidise and give money back to people who decide to holiday at home. Well, discounted meals and discounted hotel breaks will be available until the start of the next summer season under the plans that are being considered by the the government's July stimulus package. The Tourism Minister Catherine Martin has assisted that any measures she introduces for the sector will be extended until next spring. Now, yesterday there was reports that these subsidies are not going to kick in until 
September. Uh, but And if they do run, kick in then in September, they will run through, she says, until next spring. They include plans for a tax rebate scheme for hotel and restaurant bills. And they will be at the centre of negotiations, which are going to be announced as part of the stimulus package. It's called a staycation subsidy. It won't be applied to alcohol, by the way, but pubs that serve food will be able to take part. And I was reading in the front page story in the Irish Independent today. They say that the, the Department of Tourism officials are trying to develop an app or an online system which would allow customers to claim their rebate immediately after they paid the bill. There's a number of proposals being discussed, including putting barcodes on bills, which could then be read by your mobile phone. Now, Minister Catherine Martin said nothing's been finalised on how the rebate scheme will operate, but she is insisting that anything that's introduced should be made as customer friendly as possible. And that's to encourage more people to spend money in hotels and uh, restaurants. And um, she also went on to say that the the temporary wage subsidy, that's going to be extended to 2021. That will come as some relief to a lot of employers. And it's also going to be available to seasonal workers who previously hadn't been able to claim uh, the payment. And she's also pushed for the existing waiver on commercial rates to be extended for uh, next year. So there's a lot being discussed with this July stimulus package. I think everybody's waiting to hear what exactly is going to be in the stimulus package, particularly companies, many of those struggling just to keep their front door uh, open. 1850-333-103. Bernie and Sadie are taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. As we've been reporting all morning on the news, the hunt is on for Ireland's newest multi-millionaire after one lucky punter scooped almost 50 million euro in last night's Euro Millions draw. Now, rumours are abounding that somebody went into the gala store in Dunmanway with the winning ticket and we decided to go straight to the to find out what's going on at the Gala store in Dunmanway. The manager, Colm O'Sullivan, joins me. And good morning to you, Colm. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. Are you hearing the same rumours that we're hearing? I am, and I'd like to dispel the main one, which is that I'm the winner. That's <laughs> definitely not true. Because you're at work this morning. <laughs> because I am, is right. OK, yeah. the, the story goes that somebody came into your store yesterday and checked a ticket and shouted, oh my God, and ran out. Yeah, a lady came in yesterday evening because apparently the app wasn't working on the law. She came down to verify the numbers, but you can't actually scan them immediately after a draw. So the boys checked out, the guys who were working checked the numbers and gave them to her. And whatever ticket she had in her own hand, she referenced it against that. And she let out some claim of, oh my good God. And she ran out the store. So as to whether or not she won 50 euro or 50 million, we're unsure. She was exceptionally excited over the whole thing. The guys decided she must have been the winner. We're not entirely sure, and we, we sincerely hope she is. Is she, is she a local lady? <clears throat> they claimed that they have seen her in here a few times. So she so she's obviously um, she's obviously well aware of good value in here every day. Um, I'm just trying to figure out as to whether or not she's married. That's, that's <laughs> the and are you, are, are you putting yourself forward? Are you free and single? Oh, well, if I can get a quick divorce from, from my own opposition. <laughs> Don't you leader, dare say that. Go. Your poor wife. <laughs> your, poor, your poor wife. And, and she hasn't come back since. She hasn't come back since, no. 
Um, so we're we're unsure as to, but apparently she was extremely excited over as to what level of money she won. To be honest, Patricia, we have no idea. Um, the, the, the guys that were on the till last night they, they reckon that she was the winner I'm not entirely sure myself I, I sincerely hope she is I hope it's somebody local and spent in the locality yeah. it's, it's a huge sum of money isn't it 50, 50 million it's phenomenal it's absolutely phenomenal it's mind boggling money it's the second Euro Millions jackpot win this year so far and it's the 16th jackpot uh, winner what's your biggest win to date been in the Garland Amama our biggest win to date was ten thousand euro last year. We had two five thousands already this year, um, and we was listen. There's a there's a seller's prize as well, which I have my eye on. So I have a vested interest as well in the yeah. big one here. Yeah, <laughs> and this, I, I mean, your your ten thousand will pay it into into significance if the winner has won uh, fifty million. Do you know uh, when would you get contacted if you sold the ticket? You see, if it, was, if it was the Irish Lotto, you would know within a half an hour you would get the call. Okay. The difficulty with the Euro Millions, because obviously um, all the amount of countries involved, it takes a day or two to be notified. So we haven't had anything. We've heard nothing yet. And uh, we're keeping the lines open in the hope that it is for us. And by all accounts, the National Lottery, I know up to coming on air this morning, when I came on air at 10 o'clock, the National Lottery was still saying they haven't been contacted uh, yet. And of course, now... You can't go to the National Lottery headquarters. It's got to be all done by phone and that they're asking people just to contact them by phone and to to carefully sign the winning ticket, write your name on the back of the winning ticket ASAP. So if that woman is listening to us, make sure you've signed the back of the ticket. And if you want to come back in to call him, he'll have a bottle of champagne. Do you sell champagne? Oh, we do. Do you do? Very very good value. I'd actually actually give it to the lady. I, would, I wouldn't even dream of charging her. Would I'm you not? Know, you're a kind know, man. You're a kind man. <laughs> you're a good judge of character. I'd, 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 I'd also g- mind her ticket for her. <laughs> and have you had people in this morning talking about it? Oh, we have. Everybody, yeah. yeah. It's a huge buff. Everybody, everybody accused and everybody else to win downplaying it. Anyone I've seen going to work this morning, they've all been accused of putting on a face going into work pretending <laughs> that they have to. <laughs> so. and, and, and no, don't rush out and buy a new car. That's the big. It's <coughs> the big giveaway, folks. And you can't travel. That's for sure. Not at the moment, anyway. That's okay. No, no, no. You can buy. Yeah, you can buy an point. island and make your island COVID free. <laughs> yeah, Listen. Yeah. Let us know if you hear anything, will you? And if we <laughs> hear anything, we'll be back on. And you, and you too. Have a good Thanks day. Have a good bye. day. Bye bye. Colin O'Sullivan there, the manager of Gala in Dunmanway, but confirming that two of his staff witnessed a woman last night get very, very excited when she was handed a slip of paper with the winning tickets on, numbers on it, 14, 15, 24, 29, 42, with the Lucky Stars 2 and uh, 4. I would love to think that that is one of our listeners and there is one very happy family in Dunmanway sitting there wondering and thinking, how are we going to spend 50 million euro if it's you and you're listening to us Good luck with it, and I hope it brings you nothing but luck. 1850-333-103. Bernie and Sadie are taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp at 0862-103-103. C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, as we know, last week the Taoiseach Micheál Martin announced that regulations have been drawn up to make face coverings in shops and shopping centres mandatory.
mandatory to curb the spread of COVID-19. So, how are shopkeepers reacting to this decision and how will the law be enforced? Joining me is Tara Buckley, who is Director General of RG Data, who represents independent grocers and uh, retailers. Good morning to you, Tara. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, you're very welcome to the programme. Now, firstly, do your members, did your members welcome the decision to make face masks compulsory? Well, Patricia, my members, because they're grocers, have been opened since the start of the lockdown. So I suppose overnight they had to become public health experts and with very little um, advice and guidance, they had to turn their shops into safe places for people to come and shop and for their, their staff. So I suppose it's been a very uh, quick learning curve for them. And as the weeks progressed, um, the, the, the word started coming out around whether face masks should be used or not. And our feeling was that if the health expert advice was to wear face masks, then the government would need to make it mandatory to ensure that it would be applied in all shops. I suppose we can sort of understand why they've come to this point. I mean, you know, when you have a small shop, it is, you know, it's a very challenging to enforce social distancing. So the, uh, the added benefit of having a face mask is probably providing some um, comfort to customers and certainly is providing comfort to staff. Absolutely, absolutely. But how, do you know how it's going to be enforced? Well, no. I mean, we have been told now that they, they, they will be making them mandatory and they're working on the sort of uh, details of how it will be enforced. Because we, like, we know it's mandatory on public transport and the fines are extremely high, two and a half thousand, um, even up to six months in, in jail. Would on-the-spot fines work better? Well, if we look at what's happened in other countries, I mean, a lot of other countries who are ahead of us and have introduced mandatory face masks have introduced on-the-spot fines. And, I, you know, maybe that would be a simpler way. I mean, to be honest with you, we're, we believe that the vast majority of people will wear the face masks and it won't be an issue. They'll come to the shop with their mask and they'll put it on and, and wear it while they're shopping. So, you know, hopefully that's how it will all pan out. But I suppose... We always have to be ready for the person who won't wear one. And, you know, when when you don't have rules and regulations or fines, unfortunately, you know, those people think they can just come into the shop and not have a mask on. So we would like there to be some type of, um, you know, stick approach, I suppose you could call it, um, for the people who won't wear a mask. And certainly it's very difficult for us to ask our staff to be the police of mandatory face masking. Absolutely, so we, absolutely. You know, we would be looking for back. And, and since the Thetic Michael Martin made the announcement last week, have your members seen an increase in face coverings already? Yes. Yeah. Now, you know, I think our members, particularly our members who own larger supermarkets, um, I suppose maybe it's easier for those customers. They know they're going to the supermarket and they've brought their mask and they wear their mask. And certainly we're seeing an awful lot more people in, in, in the supermarket arena wearing their masks. For some of our members who are, you know, maybe four-court stores or smaller stores and it's an impulse, you know, we are, they don't have the same number of people with masks. Now, obviously, it's not mandatory, so maybe those people will start wearing the masks once it's mandatory. Yeah, I know yesterday when I was, we were discussing this on on the programme and a listener said, you know, do I need to put on a mask if I'm just popping into the newsagent to get my daily paper? Yes, yes. I mean, I suppose one of the reasons this is being introduced is, is actually to protect those smaller shops, so the newsagent, but also maybe if you're popping into um, the, the local fashion store or 
the, you know, the local chemist, whatever, I suppose, you know, it's, those stores were smaller, so it's, it is even harder in a smaller store to ensure you've got social distancing between the staff and the customers and between the customers. Will it cause problems for staff members who also will have to wear a mask at work if they can't remain two metres away from a customer? Well, we've, we've got clarification from government that face visors will be acceptable as face coverings. So these are the purse-best masks that come down in front of your face, but, you know, you don't have um, straps up around your ears. And from, from early feedback from our members, a lot of them already have been issuing these to staff and staff are, appear quite happy to wear these. They're more comfortable to wear if you're working a full shift. And if the other reason, I suppose, is that if you're dealing with customers, you want to be able to speak and smile and let people see your face. So it's, it's easier when you're wearing a face visor to do that than it is to wearing a face mask. We also think that with the face visors, it's probably easier. The whole um, hygiene etiquette is easier too in terms of keeping them clean and washing them and um, sanitising them between wears and, you know, doing regular sanitisation. So it's easier than, than at the face mask. Yeah, and, and particularly if, you, you know, if you're in doing an eight-hour shift, can be a, you know can be a lot to ask somebody to wear a, a face mask on, you know, on a warm day for a long shift, where a visor is much easier. Absolutely. And also remember, too, if you if you touch your face mask to talk to somebody or to answer the phone or to, you know, whatever, you know, you, you, you have to change your face mask, you know, eventually. And also they only, those face masks, you know, you're only supposed to wear them for a certain length of time and then you're supposed to change it, mm. you know. So it does make it more complicated. But certainly we the feedback from staff is that the face visors you know, they're, they're, they, they work very well. OK. Uh, listener wants to know, does Tara know when is the law going to be passed? When will it actually become legally manned, legal that we wear the masks? Well, as, as far as we know, they are actively working on this at the moment. So they're obviously consulting with, uh, I can see they've been consulting with the Gardaí as well. So I would suspect it will take a number of weeks. But, you know, I would expect it, the plan is to have it passed as soon as possible, but it will require legislation to go through the door to pass it. And in the meantime, people just get used to wearing them. I mean, I likened it yesterday to when the reusable shopping bags came in and we were all going to be charged for the plastic bags. People took to that very quickly in the end. It's, it's now going to become the norm that when you're heading out shopping, you bring your mask with you. I think you're right, Patricia, and, and hopefully that will be the case. And certainly, you know, that's what we'll be reminding customers. And remember, too, you have to remember to keep washing your hands and sanitising your hands as you go into the store and, you know, keeping your the, the, the cough etiquette going. Well, when you mentioned that the Gardaí are being consulted at the moment, was your organisation consulted before the decision was announced? Well, we're, there's, a, there's a group called the Retail Consultation Forum, and it, it is a, a representative of all the different uh, retail sectors and retail trade associations and the large stores are represented on that. And that group has been meeting every week pretty much throughout the pandemic to, uh, with the minister so that, uh, by conference call so that any issues arising in the sector were, were discussed and issues were raised. So the issue of face masks came up at those meetings and what the retailer said is, you know, if the, if the government advice and the health expert health advice was that the masks were to be mandatory, just that they need, it needed to be uh, put into, into law that it was mandatory, that we, 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 our concern would have been if it was just um, please ask your customers to wear them, mm. you know, that that might have been more difficult to ensure that you had 100% compliance. Absolutely. Has it been a tough time for some of your members? 
It has. I mean, to be honest with you, it's been mixed. You know, obviously for my members who run supermarkets, it's been, um, it, it was very challenging. The first few weeks, they had to turn around things very quickly. They're very conscious as community retailers that they have to ensure that their customers get their essentials, their food, their groceries. And, but, you know, a huge amount of work was done with, within local communities because our members are, you know, family-owned uh, shops, they know their customers well, they know their communities well. They linked in with the local GAA or the local tidy towns or other local groups, and really fantastic community spirit was generated in those early weeks. And it made sure that vulnerable customers and cocooning customers were able to get their groceries delivered to them. Our members had to change the way they ran their shops, they've changed the layout. They had to change the way they, their staff worked, um, putting rosters on at night to stack shelves so that they weren't there during the day when the customers were there. They had to set up click and collect or delivery services, some stores that hadn't done that before. But, you know, they put their shoulder to the wheel and they did it. Yeah. And, they, you, know, it, you know, you have to take your hat off to the retail sector, the essential retail sector. I mean, there were no cases in, in supermarkets and shops, you know, back at the start of this lockdown. And really... The supply chain, our warehousing, our the logistics people, we all worked very hard. But we did we, we did it and we were able to make sure that people were able to get their essential food supplies right throughout the lockdown. And it's why those small stores are so important, Tara, and why we need to uh, support them. Because you, when you, when we lose small stores uh, like that, we can lose the heart. Particularly in some of the rural areas, you can lose the heart of the village when the little shop is is gone. So it's all the more reason to shop local and support local. Well, absolutely, Patricia. Thank you for saying that because we hope that people will realise having been confined to within five kilometres of their home yeah. and walking around the community will realise the value of having those local shops, local businesses that provide you with the services that you need, um, you know, right there in your locality. And the other thing to remember is that when you spend in those local businesses, it's worth four times more to your local community. That money circulates around your community, creates jobs in your community. So it's, you know, you're really working within your community and making the place you live a better place yep. to live. It's a win-win for everyone. On that positive note, we leave it, Tara. Thank you for that. Thanks a million. And thanks for joining Great us. Uh, bye-bye. That is uh, Tara Buckley, who is the Director General of RGDAT. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 Now, a Cork charity is inviting the public to make some noise for positive mental health in recognition of those affected by the pandemic. Joe Dalton is Director of Suicide Awareness and Prevention Charity Shine a Light and Joe uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Joe. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and I'm very well. It's this Friday at 7pm. What exactly are you asking people to do? Well, it's um, it's an event we're uh, running to raise awareness around positive mental health and it's it's about making some noise um, for positive mental health and to raise awareness for people to let them know that they're services and supports are out there um, and we during the night we'll be giving out that information of the services that are available and it's also in tandem with that we're having it making it a music event as well you know because music tends to lift um, people's spirits as well yeah you're, you're having a, a concert which will be I'm assuming on Facebook is it yeah well it's, it'll be running on a number of platforms it'll be running on our Facebook page it will be running on 
um, um, Mayo Cafe's Facebook page where, the, where it's being um, broadcast from by Unity Media in Cork. Okay. Um, and also, it'll be on uh, YouTube channels, Unity Media's YouTube channel. It'll be on Twitter channel as well. So there's four platforms there that people can click in on the links and watch it on the night. And watch and watch it live. And have you many musicians taking part? Yeah, well, we have the lineup. We're restricted by the musicians because of the, the, the COVID-19 protocols on yeah. social distancing. And we have three groups, we have three acts. We have Miles Gaffney, who's well-known um, folk singer in Cork. And then we have uh, The Lost Gecko with Malcolm O'Cart and then Dot Stobin from August Walk. They're the three on the night. They also performed last year for us in the event when we ran it in the fucking crane last year. Yeah, you you actually had a concert last year, didn't you, in the fucking crane? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we like we had to adapt this year because of the pandemic and, and uh, like lots of um, people are struggling with their mental health now who previously wouldn't have been uh, had mental health issues. Um, so what we want to do is just to raise awareness about the services that are there, give people hope to come out. At 7.45 then uh, on the night, we will be making some noise for positive mental health and we'll be asking people like in their homes, wherever they are, to make that noise for two or three minutes and we'll be going, you know, it'll be streamed live on air that night what we're doing with the noise. So we're hoping and why, why, what are you suggesting? Bang a saucepan? If you have yeah. a drum, play the drums, play a guitar, play a musical instrument? Whatever, you can scream from the top of your lungs, whatever <laughs> you need to do. But it's it's just basically like let people know because there there is the services are there, right? They are under pressure, we know that. Mm. But like it, like they're still there and people need to know where they are. So it's our aim is to provide positive mental health. And, and just re- just remind order. listeners, Joe, of the services that you actually provide at China Light. Well, we we provide um, uh, counselling at low cost through our, our, our Kush Kame, who are under the SHEP, you know, the Social Health Education yeah. Programme. They, they, they are the counselling service that we use and we, we refer people to them for uh, support if they need it. So when people contact us, either on Facebook or personally, we will find out what's troubling them and we refer them to our counselling service. We will engage with them then and we just hand over then to, to the counselling service. You know, it's it's important that people know that, that it's professionals must deal with people's uh, mm-hmm. mental health, you know what I mean? Because Do you worry, Joe, about the pandemic and the effect it is having or that it's going to have on people's mental health? Well, it, it is obvious that it is having an uh, effect on people's mental health. Um, it's it's a, um, a new uh, uh, what would you call it? Um, uh, um, well, we've never we've never had anything yeah, like it before. We, we've never we've never had it, and it, it, as I said previously, is people who haven't had uh, issues with mental health in the past are struggling now because of the different pressures that this is putting on them, mm. and like be it be monetary, um, even just. Being the restrictions that are being placed on people, and, and yeah, uh, I've from the start worried about the isolation of yeah. uh, some people. I mean, particularly when we were going down the route of getting o- older people to to cocoon, and and it struck me if somebody bef- before that was in any way battling with any kind of a mental health issue, if suddenly they were left on their own with no one to talk to, and and we know, and a service like yours would know only too well how important it is to reach out and talk to somebody. Yeah, it has. It definitely has uh, amplified problems for people, especially as you say, elderly people that were cocooning. 
but um, they, they, they're struggling even more. Um, families with, with, with children with special needs and things like that, with all those services and supports have been more or less taken away from them now and all that. These are all strains and stresses on people that are, is creating huge anxiety levels. But we are seeing it. It is building up. All the services in Cork and around the country are seeing a, a huge uh, increase in, in people looking for help. But lots of the time people don't know where to turn to. So that's the aim of this event on, on Friday night to, to do that, to send most people towards those those um, services and the, support the help that is available. Yeah. And while all of those, as you say, all of those support groups are inundated with people looking for help and it's great that people are going there, but it's coming at a time when fundraising has practically dried up. Yeah, that's a huge problem for, for all all um, charities at the moment. Uh, uh, we like we we don't receive our charity. We don't receive any funding at all from any government agency or anything. That we depend solely on the public for for the for the the funding. And uh, you know, as of up until today, we've never really struggled with um, with funding. We've always we've never managed to turn away anybody. We've always looked after people. But like it is like it's also a, a fundraising event for us on the night, and the, the links are there from the I donate page. Uh, are up on our Facebook page and they're also on, they'll be up on the night as well. But like, we would, you know, appreciate funding from people. But as I said, we're, the, the main aim of this is to let people know that the services are there and they're available. And if they come to us, we will put them in contact with whatever one suits their needs the most. Okay, you know. well done, well done. And how do people contact Shiny Lies, Joe? Well, they contact us on our Facebook page. That's basically what we do. Our, like, People would that would know like there was only eleven of us in the group, you know. Mm. Um, but like people would come up to individuals and ask them for help like that, and then we would look after them. But mainly through our Facebook page is where it comes through. It's a it's a private message and it's completely confidential, and um, there's no details ever giving out to, to anybody like that. It's just we're passing them on to the counselling service. And uh, they take over from there. Then. And the fact that you are up on social media, because that's not limited to just people from Cork. Do people reach out from all over the world? Well, this, yeah, I, I, I don't know if you've seen the article on, on the paper the other night, but there was we had one instance there where recently where somebody from the Philippines reached out to us, and the reason when we asked them now how did they contact us, and they said they saw our Facebook page and that we were the only service that actually responded to to them. Oh my God! So it was. Um, that's like, that, that's worrying, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But I mean, as I said, the people, the services are inundated. You know, that's that's the problem. But we monitor our page regularly. You know what I mean? We've lots of us there. Most of the group are admins on the page, and they monitor the page for any messages that, like that. So, like, we're, we're, the page is open twenty four seven. But like, we don't have a phone number, contact details for that because, as I said, there's only eleven of us there. And that uh, we're, we're all volunteers. Everybody's volunteering. There's no nobody paid in our in our organisation. So that's what we do, and um, we we do our best. We it, well, what we want this event to do is to reach out to everybody, like across the the the, the, the Irish the diaspora abroad and everywhere else. Like we're asking people, like of Cork, that the fact that it's make some noise, Cork is hashtag make some noise, Cork is the name of the event. But we want to reach out to everybody. Because mental health is a global thing. Yeah, it's it is not indeed. purely a Cork problem. You're, you're doing amazing work. We'll, we'll speak again, uh, Joe. Best of luck with the event on 
this Friday night at uh, 7 o'clock um, Shine a Light and uh, is the Facebook page if people want to check it out but thank you for joining Selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com. Just on the program today. Okay, thank you. Good morning to you. Thank bye you. bye. Bye bye. Uh, Joe Dalton, one of the uh, directors with uh, Shine a Light, uh, Director of uh, Suicide Awareness and Prevention Charity. Sheila Inoknagri has been on to us. She has a bit of a dilemma and she's looking for advice from uh, listeners, please. Sheila is 79 and she lives with her brother who is 82. Their sister is coming to visit. Now, I'm assuming they haven't seen their sister since lockdown began back in March. So they're probably very excited about their sister coming to visit and their sister is 76. The question Sheila wants to know is does Sheila's sister have to wear a mask when visiting Sheila and her brother in their home? Sheila's son is insisting that Sheila's sister should wear a mask when uh, visiting. Ah, and like, yeah, it's it's a tough one. I can see where your son is coming from, Sheila. He's coming from a place of love and protection. He just wants to keep you and uh, his uncle safe because obviously both of you have been cocooning uh, together and you haven't had visitors to the home and you've been ab- abiding by all of, the, all of the rules and regulations. We are now allowed, people are allowed to have visitors into the home. I think the advice has always been 
for people who are medically vulnerable and I don't know what the circumstances health-wise about yourself and uh, your brother. Uh, hopefully you're both hale and hearty and you don't have any underlying medical conditions. But I think the advice has always been, particularly when we when cocooners came out of cocooning was, yes, you could visit us to, to your home, but abide by the social distancing. You know, when your sister arrives, no big hugs like you would have done uh, previously. Keep the two metres uh, apart. It's a tough one about asking her to wear a mask. I, I don't know how she's going to feel about it. I can, I, I absolutely can understand where your son is com- coming from. But the fact that you've contacted us, I feel you, you feel a little bit odd about asking your sister uh, to wear a mask. And obviously, if she's going to wear a mask to protect you and your brother, is the flip that you and your brother should wear a mask as well in order to protect her because that's why we wear masks we wear masks uh, to protect uh, each other anyway let's put it out there and see what listeners uh, think what should Sheila do should Sheila go with what her son is saying and when the sister comes to visit first time in all of that that they've got to see each other since March should Sheila insist that her sister wears a mask or is that going a little bit over the top? Have her into the house, keep two metres apart, well-ventilated room and sure if it's a nice sunny day you might be able to sit out in the garden. You'll even be safer. We're all told we're safer when we are outside. Let's see what other listeners have to say. Let us know. 1850 if you have any advice for Sheila, please, and the dilemma that she finds herself in today. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 Now some lot of calls still coming in about the wearing of face masks and now this green list that has just been published whereby 15 countries on the list, people travelling from those countries can come to Ireland. They don't need to self-isolate for two weeks when they come here. But likewise, should people decide to go abroad, they're saying any of those countries on the list, you can go there. And when you come back, you don't need to self-isolate for two weeks. Um, Willie in Glanmire says it's time we started thinking outside of the box. This is when it comes to the opening of pubs. Uh, Willie says we need to stop this notion of that the only place we can socialise is in a pub. There's lots of other places to social life. Social life doesn't have to revolve around a pub. So he is fed up of people constantly going on about the pubs and the fact that the pubs should be open. Pat on the green list says, this is a good point from Pat. Pat says, when we go on holidays, we the Irish have a tendency, you know when you go away on holidays, you always meet up with interesting people and it's it's, it's a part of holidays. It's a part of going abroad where you meet up with people and sometimes you get friendly with people and you might be friendly with them for life after meeting them on, on holidays. And we'll all look back at holiday snaps and we'll look at people that we met if we were out having a meal or perhaps they were staying in the same hotel or the same apartment block and you can have a great bit of fun with them. And we, we the Irish, have a tendency that, when we, that we meet up with people who speak English for very obvious reasons so you can socialise together. And the majority of those English people would be from the United Kingdom. So Pat is saying for people that might decide to pick one of the countries from the green list because the government is saying the countries on the green list are the countries that have similar COVID-19 numbers to ourselves. So if you do, if you're insisting on travelling, they're probably the safer countries to go to. But Pat says, what happens when you go to those countries? Take, for example, Italy is a country that he goes to. Yeah. What do you do when you, if you're in a hotel and you're sitting beside and you're starting to meet up with people from the United Kingdom? Will they not be a danger? 
And and obviously, yeah, I mean, the reason that the United Kingdom and America is not on the list is because they have much more cases of COVID-19 than we have here, even though the United Kingdom seem to be bringing down their numbers, but they still have more numbers than we have here. But will people from the United Kingdom who are travelling abroad, could they have COVID-19? Of course they could. Of course they could. So, yeah, that is a bit of a, of a dilemma that for people that, and I don't know how many people are going to decide to go abroad and pick a country that's on the, the list of 15, which Pat is right, does include uh, Italy. And then when you go abroad, will you socially isolate from anyone with an English accent? Is that what people are going to do? I don't know. 1850-333-103. John is in Clonakilty. He was on to say he's off to Lanzarote in a few weeks' time. He has his holiday booked and he is still going. And he says he is not going to isolate when he comes home. And his main reason for not isolating is he said, why should he when Micheál Martin didn't self-isolate? Why do they think they can tell us what to do when they won't do it themselves? And this was the point that we uh, spoke about on Monday with Micheál Martin being in Brussels and people were saying, will he self-isolate for two weeks when he comes back? And when we looked into it and checked, the government ministers do not have to self-isolate when they come back, even though we were told that Micheál Martin would have a COVID-19 test when he arrived back. And I'm assuming he had it as soon as he got off the plane. It was probably the first thing uh, that he did. But uh, they don't have to self-isolate. They're not governed under the rules and regulations that the rest of us are asked to do. So John in Clonakilty says on that basis alone, he's going to go off and enjoy his holiday in Lanzarote and then he won't self-isolate uh, when he uh, comes home. 1850 How do people feel about that? Is John Wright, just because the ministers, the government ministers are not self-isolating, is John Wright to go have his holiday and come back and not uh, worry about it? My main concern would be, John, if, and I hope you have a lovely holiday in Lanzarote and it's your own decision and nobody can tell you not uh, to go away but what if you go away and what if you bring back COVID-19 with you? I think it's one of the fear factors I would have. I mean, I would have a fear factor of picking up COVID-19 myself, but then how would you live with yourself if you brought the COVID-19 back and you passed it on to somebody else? I heard, for example, remember Cheltenham, the races and all of that, and we at the time were saying nobody should be going to Cheltenham and a load of Irish people did go to to Cheltenham and it was before lockdown kicked in in this country. I heard of a gentleman who went to Cheltenham and came back COVID-19 positive and he ended up passing it on to his dad who passed away with uh, COVID-19 and it just it struck me when I heard the story my God how would you ever live with yourself knowing that you passed it on to somebody who then subsequently died from it and I, I just don't know that's what I would worry about John when you say I mean they're asking people to uh, self-isolate and it isn't just because they're not doing it we should do it they're asking you to do it so that you protect all of the people that you live with and all of the people that you come in contact with. And if you decide not to self-isolate and you just walk, you go down into the supermarket, you never know who you're going to meet. You might be very careful at home and make sure that you're keeping away from people at home. But it's when you're out and about, could you pass on? And I'm not saying you're going to pick up COVID-19 when you're abroad, but you don't know. You just don't know. 1850 uh, Peter in Clonakilty is asthmatic. This is... um. 
the wearing of masks. He is on two inhalers. He finds it very hard to wear a mask. He is the person who's responsible for doing all of the shopping for the family. So he has to go out to the uh, shops uh, and he just find, says he finds it very difficult to wear a mask because of his asthma. Can I say to Peter and to anybody else with asthma, tomorrow on the programme, we are speaking with a nurse from the Asthma Society because we are getting calls in every day from people like Peter who say, I can't wear a mask because of asthma. What am I going to do? And I don't know whether it's to a doctor you should be going because when I mentioned maybe get a letter from your doctor we had somebody contacted us yesterday who suffers from COPD which is a lung condition uh, way more serious than um, asthma and when he went to the doctor and was speaking about the face masks and he needs he finds when he puts the face mask on that he may need to cough and with the COPD he needs to cough a lot and his doctor said to him go outside the shop go into somewhere quiet or back into your car, take off your mask and cough, then put your mask back on and go back in. And the doctor said there was no, or he said his doctor, there was no way his doctor was giving him a letter to cover him when he would go into a shop. And and, and I don't, we, I, I don't know what the Asthma Society are going to say to us tomorrow. So hopefully we'll get more clarity from the Asthma Society for asthmatics who seem to be struggling when it comes to the wearing of face masks. 1850-333-103. Marion Skibbereen says, do you have to wear a face mask in a car if you're in a car with someone you don't live with? Uh, I suppose a, a car, there's there's no guidelines, there's no recommendations on wearing a face mask uh, in a car. The only thing, if you're sitting in a car with someone that, as you say, you don't uh, live with, you're in an enclosed space, particularly if the windows are closed in the car. So if you're feeling anyway nervous, I suppose you might feel, you both might feel a little bit more, more safe if both of you are wearing masks, but I certainly haven't seen any guidelines. Um, I'll get that checked, but I haven't seen any guidelines about the wearing of masks in a car when you're with somebody outside of your family circle. 1850 Noel is responding to Teresa, who contacted us, who wants to go on holidays, but her place of work has said at a COVID-19 briefing that anyone that travels outside of the country, you will be required to self-isolate for two weeks when you come back and you will have to do it as unpaid leave. And Teresa said she'd like to go away but she can't afford to take two weeks unpaid leave and she's wondering are other companies doing the same thing and can I say we've heard from a host of people who said yes that's exactly the rules and regulations that are in place. A lot of companies so your company is not on its own Teresa in asking you to do that. Uh, Noel says is Teresa for real? Most of us are doing everything right and all I'm hearing from Teresa's comment this morning morning is that she wants to go on holidays. Uh, I've lost my holiday and can only get a voucher. The money is gone. There should be nobody travelling. Kind regards. And that is from Noel, who really is taken aback that Teresa is even considering going out of the country. Another listener says, I'm planning on day trips this year. I would have gone on a staycation because I love this country but I'm worried because of foreigners and people coming from Northern Ireland are arriving here in Ireland and going to the tourist hot spots. Surely they would be using pillows that would then be used by somebody else the following night. Would pillows not be a breeding ground for COVID-19? Well, if you read any of the guidelines that are in place for from Fault Island for the hotels and, and the B&Bs 
I mean, the way all of the pillowcases and duvets and everything has to be washed and cleaned and the rooms uh, cleaned, I think you, you, I mean, no one could be 100% sure, but I think you will be uh, pretty much in the hotels and B&Bs in Ireland all following the guidelines. I think you'll be fairly safe to stay. But I can understand your fears and there are people like that. There are people who are just fearful of going away and that's how they're going to do their holidays this year. They'll do day trips coming home to the safety of their uh, own house uh, instead. Somebody else says, Patricia, the ministers will have to get tough on travel. It would take a very ignorant person to say otherwise. This country has paid a price for importing the virus into this country. We were doing it since Christmas, but we did it at a time when we didn't know what we were dealing with. We know what we're dealing with now. So the government ministers need to get tough when it comes to travel. 1850 What's coming into us by uh, WhatsApp? Are people stupid? COVID isn't waiting for legislation to be passed, says this texter. It's active now. So please, will you just wear your mask and cop on? This childish mentality of why should I if somebody else isn't wearing one is fairly annoying said this listener, who isn't waiting for the government to say, I'm going to fine you if you don't wear your mask. Person making the point, it's active. Put your mask on now, uh, please. Someone else is saying this is to do with uh, travelling abroad and people wanting people, and there are people like Theresa who still want to go uh, abroad, uh, but they don't want the idea of self-isolating when they come home. And certainly people, there's not many people are in a position that they can take two weeks unpaid leave having been away for two weeks. There's a lot of people just can't afford to do that. Somebody is asking, if you pay for a COVID-19 test on return, would that suffice? So you come back from holidays and rather than self-isolate, could you go somewhere and get a COVID-19 test? Which then got me thinking, can you actually go somewhere and pay for a COVID-19 test? We know at the moment all of the testing is free. If you have any symptoms or you've been in contact with anyone, you go to your GP, they organise your test, you go away and you get your test and then you get your result. I don't know of, can you go somewhere privately and say, I would like to have a test? I, I, I don't know if you can. Uh, if anybody knows if you can, can you let us know, uh, please? Uh, 1850 And Mary says, Hi Patricia, if our government are serious and they want people to stay in this country and they want people to have a staycation, then they will have to allow the pubs to open up. They'll have to allow the casinos, especially in seaside and coastal towns, to open and they'll have to do it ASAP. If not, we'll be cancelling our staycation. We've a staycation planned in Donegal. There's a family of 10 of us going, says Mary, but we won't be travelling if the pubs and the casinos are closed. We need to have somewhere to go and something to do while on holiday, said uh, Mary, where we're expecting the 10th of August for the reopening of the pubs and the casinos. Now, is it going to happen? We don't know. We were expecting them to open on the 20th last Monday and it didn't happen. But Mary reckons it's going to put her family off. They're going to cancel their holiday if the pubs and the casinos are not opened. 1850-333-103. Sadie and Bernie, you're taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. 
Everfresh Solutions. They're looking to recruit a general operative painter and cleaner. It's to join their company, preferably painting skills in the Mallow Butterfant area. Cabinet maker slash kitchen fitter wanted. That's for work in Bandham. While a chef manager and catering assistant is required for a canteen in Enniskeen. And an Arctic driver is wanted. Walking floor work experience is uh, required. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, the closure of disability services has had a significant impact on people with intellectual disabilities, with many receiving little or no support since day services were suspended back in March due to COVID-19. Cork Northwest All Deputy Michael Moynihan raised the issue in the Dáil last week and he joins me. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning. Um, And actually, well done to you on on raising this issue. We're now over four months since day services closed down. Is it unacceptable that, according to Inclusion Ireland, over 50% of families say they've had little or no contact with their service? Yes, it is. This is one of the uh, the forgotten stories of the pandemic. This is, um, I suppose, the words I used last week in my contribution was the abandoned. Families feel abandoned. And we have families that uh, we have been working with right throughout the years, and they are at breaking point. And I didn't use those words very, you know, willy-nilly last week. I I wanted to put the very serious concerns that families have and service users uh, right across the disability services. And I think that what we need is, you know, there was a roadmap, uh, published last week uh, from the HSE in relation to the opening up of the services. But many families have been engaging with, somewhat with the service providers and instances have been given to me where you know, service providers gave one or two hours respite so that uh, parents or mothers could take showers, simple stuff like that, that they would have somebody with profound disabilities. And there's a whole spectrum here, right, just from the very young to the uh, adults with intellectual disabilities and some of the adults there, uh, you know, getting on in years themselves and their parents are elderly as well and maybe have very chronic underlying health issues. And uh, there's no um, respite for them. There's no, uh, and there's no sense that there is an urgency with trying to make sure that the services are back up and running as early as possible. And I think that, you know, families do feel very abandoned. And those service users, if we look at the service users themselves, they had been into a routine and that routine was, you know, giving them uh, a sense, I suppose, a purpose in life and a routine that was in bringing out the best in them. And when that routine is dropped, you know, they regress and many families have told me that the service users have regressed and that is absolutely anti-totally regrettable. And what we need to do is, like, we have the July stimulus, which is very important. We have the economic issues that are out there that the pandemic has caused and there's everybody is hurting in it. But I think these families, these people with intellectual disabilities, with profound disabilities, they have been forgotten and they are collateral damage in the whole lot of, of what has happened over the last four months. And if you look at 
all the service users in our own area in St. Joseph's and Charles will cope, whether it is in Mallow or Cork or in McCroom or any of those services. I think that what we need to do is that there needs to be an urgency with the um, department and the minister. I've spoken to Minister Anne Rabbit a number of times uh, and I'm hoping that she will meet with some of the service providers and indeed the parents of the service users to try and instill the urgency that's needed to tackle this. And this is no longer, you know, the protocols in place, but it has to be about the service users and their families. And and certainly on this programme, we're hearing from families of, you know, increased challenging behaviour, as you mentioned, of service users uh, regressing and the stresses and the strains that the carers are, are under. I mean, are we in danger of many carers facing burnout? Well, they are at breaking point. And they are burned out. And, you know, either through telephone contact, through meeting them, or indeed by email where the the care providers, would be their parents or siblings, uh, or indeed, you know, extended family, they have been contacting us. And there is burnout there. There is real burnout there because they have a profound love for the person that has the intellectual disability and they are trying to do the best for them and they see them regressing into you know where they never were and where they had improved so much with the facilities that had been provided and you know last year and and the year before you know I was on your program a number of times uh, uh, lamenting the lack of respite care for for families and the the way the respite budget had been uh, cut that is not, you know, that there is no glimmer of hope at all for any respite this year. You know, they have been uh, at home for the last four months and they haven't been engaging in the services. And those services are vitally important for the service users' well-being and for the carers' well-being as well. Is there, is there any talk of services getting additional funding which would help them open up sooner? Well, this is uh, the point I was making last week and at the very end of my contribution was what is the real engagement between the government, what is the real engagement between the HSE and the service providers because there's a number of issues here, right? There's the uh, there's the issue of transport. Uh, you know, an awful lot of people are travelling, you know, the, the transport issue, they're travelling many miles to the centre, to the day centre or to where they're getting the services. And what are the protocols that are in place in relation to that transport what is the you know social distancing and all the other issues that were there and to make sure that they get to the center where they have the best available services uh, we have to look at really engaging and getting more money into the service providers so that they can provide the best transport we can't expect elderly parents or parents who don't have the wherewithal to drive their parent their um and people with intellectual disabilities, maybe round trips of maybe uh, 60 mi- 30 miles one way or the other way, which would be 120 miles in the day if they were to drop them, collect them, drop them, collect them. We can't, they just don't have the wherewithal to do that. And some of the, par- of the parents as well have underlying health issues and some of the parents, in some instances, don't drive at all. So that there, isn't, there is a real challenge there. So, so what, what you're saying is the service could open, but if there's no transport, it's of no use to the service provider, to the, to the service no, We have to be holistic in relation to this. We have to ensure that at the centre of the reopening, the, 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 the guidelines are there, the guidelines are all, you know, spoken in, in health gobbledygook, for the want of a, a better word. But to get to the real issue, you have to have, the services have to open, the services have to be available for, uh, for uh, people, and the transport has to be provided 
the proper transport has to be provided and we can't expect families they just don't have the wherewithal to provide that and if they had they would not be going to me or to anybody else looking for assistance to get they would do it themselves because many of the families are doing a whole pile themselves but they're really at the end of their tether trying to to you know to to manage the situations that they have and to get the best possible situations uh, the best possible outcomes so there has to be reopening and there has to be proper transport. We also had the residential units. You know, many of the people were on shared care. They were living uh, in, in shared care for maybe four or five nights a week. And that was that was working out extremely well for both the service users and for the families. And it was a routine for them. And that has ceased since last, uh, last uh, March as well. And what is the plan for reopening those shared care facilities? And when, when day services reopen, uh, Michael, does your gut instinct tell you it's going to be very different to what closed down in March? It's going to be extremely different. It's going to be ex- ex- completely different to what has happened in March. Uh, you know, all of that, what is happening, and, and you know, the, all that has been talked about in relation to the pandemic, um, and you know, it will be completely different. But what has to be at the centre of it is the best possible service for the service users. They need this for their well-being. They need this for their, you know, this is their life. This is their, uh, this is their outlet. So they need the best possible services, and we should have them at the core of any uh, any debate. You know, we've seen over the last number of days a big debate in relation to what countries are opening or travelling to and from, and uh, uh, but there are people, genuine people, who are vulnerable people that are suffering enormously because of what has happened in this pandemic. And, and, and travelling and travelling outside the country is the last thing on their minds for sure. OK, some comments coming in. Maura in West Cork agrees with everything that you've said uh, this morning. She's a special needs a boy. They feel very isolated. They've heard very little from their care provider. They're, they, Maura says there's a couple, they're elderly and it is going on now so long they feel they should be paid in some way for the extra work and the stresses that they have been put under. And actually I was reading that there's an article, I don't know if you saw in the examiner today of a man who's looking after his mother and his sister with Down syndrome and he was saying as well from a carer's point of view that uh, they should be paid uh, more but here's one that uh, question for Michael please my son attends a special class in mainstream and last year had access to transport does Michael know if this will run this year and if so when will parents be informed the doll is due to break for summer recess in a mere eight days how far along are detailed plans for the safe return to school and when will they be published if for argument's sake extra funding is required for cleaning of schools can a government in recess sanction this the doll isn't expected back until mid-September but schools are due to start in late August and planning for return needs to kick in immediately for the safe return of our children Uh, many thanks Uh, that's to do with special needs children going back to school yes and and the transport issue there is uh, it's the same issue 
what is going to be the transport issue for that uh, child going back to school? What is going to be the transport uh, uh, situation for those who have uh, intellectual disabilities? And there is no guidance in relation to it. I spoke about it last week and I'm going to continue to raise it. I think that it is vitally important that, you know, we are now into today is the 22nd of July and we are only a mere couple of weeks away from what would be the normal opening of schools. We should see it over the next short while. What are the guidelines? What are the regulations? And people that have are waiting on uh, transport uh, grant or transport regulations or transport support, like I, I have no difficulty if that person wants to get in contact with me privately and see where that is at. But I will be raising it again in the in every forum that I can, both in the doll, in the COVID committee, and at, at questions as well to try and get answers in this. Because and I'm did you get any TV. reaction when you raised it last week? Well, I got a huge reaction. You know, people felt that they were that you know that they were voiceless and that they were forgotten. And I think people were delighted that it was being raised. But that's all. That's fine. I did raise it, but I do have to get answers in relation to it. I've put in a number of questions again this week to try and clarify on the transport issue, to try and clarify on the reopening of the, the day services and also on the shared care and the residential units. And what is, where are we with all that protocol? Where are we with all that information? I'm awaiting answers on that, and I will continue to do it. And whether the dog is sitting or whether the doll is in recess, I will continue to ask the questions because I fundamentally believe on this next week on the social welfare debate, um, I have a, no, a number of questions tabled to the Minister of Social Welfare in relation to carers and I, I saw that article but there, there is an issue in relation to, there's a number of issues in relation to carers right across and we've coming up with a lot of the time now the means test for carers and maybe one spouse you know earning over the limit and the other spouse having given up their um, job to provide full-time care for an adult for an elderly parent or for a sibling or for uh, somebody with a, a disability and i think that the phrase has to be it should be needs tested not means tested mm. Mm. And I think that we, and I mean, that's something that I, I do, we we find it in the constituency office and the volume of stuff that we're dealing with a lot of the time coming up. And, you know, we know that the person that's receiving the care would be in an institution only for the care that's being provided in their own home. And the, So they're saving the, the state of fortune. And the sacrifices that they are giving to provide that care. And it should be acknowledged. And I think the needs is uh, tested rather than means tested should be the way okay. to go on it. OK, keep in contact with this, uh, Michael. Let us know how you get on. Uh, in the meantime, we see a number of people saying, well done uh, to Deputy Michael Moynihan. Please speak up for us. We are the forgotten people. OK, uh, we leave it there. We'll speak again, Michael. Thank you for that. Thanks uh, for joining us. That is Cork Northwest Dáil Deputy Michael Moynihan on the uh, hopeful reopen of disability services for people with intellectual disabilities. 1850-333-103. Bernie and Sadie taking the calls. Text WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Cork today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862-103-103. Most of us are buying groceries online. Some are feeling low lonelier than we did two years ago while 84 
percent of internet users are now online daily as a result of COVID-19. We know all of this information. Why? Because of surveys conducted by the Central Statistics Office. So to chat to us about how the work of the CSO has changed due to COVID restrictions, I'm joined by Marion Ryan, who is Field Staff Coordinator for the Midwest region, which includes us here in Cork. Good morning to you, Marion. Good morning, Patricia. How are uh, I, you? Well, I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Now, before restrictions were put in place, am I right in saying that your team would visit households and interviews would be face-to-face? Is that the way you operate it? Indeed, that is correct, yes. We would have about 100 interviewers across the country, um, normally going door-to-door, calling to our households and explaining the surveys we do, the household surveys, um, and obviously uh, giving all the information to the householder, showing their identification and so forth. Um, and uh, hoping then that the householder will take part in our surveys. So that stopped, obviously, that back in March. Stopped. Yes, it did, yes. So but like the surveys so many, didn't? Uh, no, not at all. Like so many other things that happened during COVID, we had to change the process by which we work. So we decided uh, we would write to our householders um, with a letter of invitation to ring our interviewer whose number it was uh, would be on the letter with, with our leaflets as well, I hasten to add, so that all the information about what we do is there for the householder and also low-call numbers should they wish to check the authenticity of our interviewers. Um, so we are asking our householders to make a phone call to our interviewer who will then ring them back, having explained what we're about and uh, arranged to do the survey at a suitable time to the householder. What has the response rate been like to your letters? Um, quite good, really, but I suppose in truth, not as good as the face-to-face. Uh, our interviewers are very professional people, so when they call to a door, they get that opportunity to explain fully. Um, we do know people have suffered so much through COVID and they're very busy, and now people are beginning to slowly go back to work, etc. Of course, the childcare issues, everything else out there. So, you know, people may not uh, give our letters full attention. Um, they may, or- I hate to say it, Marion, Awesome, I think it's a scam. That is true. That yeah. is true. There have been so many innovative people there uh, trying out different scams, as we know. So uh, I would again appeal to the householders just to say to them, if they read our letters and the leaflet that accompanies them, there are the n- numbers for our head office uh, in Cork um, where they can ring and check the authenticity of our interviewer. There's also, of course, email addresses. Um, so, you know, they shouldn't be... Uh, shouldn't and be they, they arrive on official CSO... Indeed, headed they paper. Do. So they, Indeed, it all, they do it all with is. our official okay. leaflets explaining the, the type of survey, the type of information we're collecting. Okay, okay. To talk, let's let's just talk then a little bit about the surveys themselves. Firstly, how do you select the people to take part? Um, it is a totally random uh, selection uh, of households across the country. Obviously, we can't interview every household. Yeah. So uh, it's very important. Then you will understand that the people we do write to take part in our survey because. Uh, One house may be representative of 100 or 150 households in that area. So I always liken our service to like a little piece in the jigsaw. Each little piece of information, one household builds up into a whole picture of Ireland. Um, It's important to just to say about the confidentiality of the data we collect to assure the listeners that uh, we are bound under the Statistics Act, all of us who work for the CSO, and to assure people that no individual's information can be divulged. Uh, so they can be very certain and be uh, very confident that any information they give is in the strictest confidentiality. 100% ca- ca- confidential. Okay, yes. how long does the survey take? 
Uh, depending on the survey we're doing, um, our shorter labour force survey, which really looks at the employment, unemployment figures uh, for the country. And again, you'll understand how vitally important that is now for our policymakers, uh, just as we come out of the COVID situation. That particular survey can take somewhere between maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes, dependent on the number of people in the house. Uh, we do big, bigger, longer surveys, which look more at the econ- economic situation within households, and they could take up to 45 minutes. Okay, and do you feel your surveys, Marion, are they more vital now than ever before, particularly thinking of the pandemic? Oh, definitely. I mean, the CSO, I suppose, is the official impartial collector of statistics for Ireland. Um, And taking part in the surveys is really important because we get all the facts directly from people. So, you know, when we publish our figures, then we can say that they're accurate because you told us. Um, And, of course, with all the awful stories we're hearing about that have happened by virtue of the COVID pandemic, uh, people are in very serious situations. And it's really only because if people tell us this story, then we can report that. And the government will have those figures available to put in place the policies that are very necessary to help us recover. Well, yeah, that's the information that the government will use to uh, to plan our road to recovery out of this, isn't it? Most definitely. Most definitely. You know, as I say, we are the official... Uh, impartial collector of those statistics so uh, very important I'm, I'm just thinking of the when you mentioned there the sad stories the interviewers who would and it would have been now as you say over the phone since uh, March must have been tough on them some of the stories that they would have been hearing from people Yes, uh, they're, well, they're a very professional bunch of people, I have to say, very experienced, um, and they treat everybody's household with sensitivity. And, uh, and again, reminding people again that confidentiality, everything that is told to an interviewer will never be divulged. And the information given over the phone is actually uh, is collected on an encrypted tablet, um, which is password protected. So again, that information can never be seen or revealed. So, you know, just as householders are comfortable with that. So I suppose, you know, my appeal to people is if they get a letter from us um, or one of our cards, please make a phone call to that interviewer. If you wish to check, as I say, the local number is there on the leaflet. If they just want to check the credentials of our, our interviewers, certainly please do so. But uh, please do make that phone call. We okay. are appealing because, again, I get back to the, the idea of a jigsaw. Every piece of information is vital to give a full picture. Of Ev- everyone is uh, finding new ways uh, to do work, Marion. I'm just wondering, going forward, is this going to be the new way that the CSO will conduct surveys? Or can you see your interviewers going back out, on uh, knocking on doors again? Um, certainly in the short term, no, because yeah. we're very conscious of the safety for both for our householders and, of course, for our staff, for our interviewers. But uh, I would imagine, yes, in the longer term, because there, we, we, there is no doubt that the personal touch, the yeah. uh, communication on the doorstep, um, and the opportunity to explain the importance of what we do. I suppose we would find that the Central Statistics Office is probably best known with householders because of the census. Mm. A lot of people are not aware of the huge array of other surveys, very important surveys that we also do. So, you know, the opportunity on the doorstep um, is is wonderful to explain all of that to people and we do find the response rates are very good as a result of that. Yeah, it's really, really important work. Listen, we continue to wish you the best of luck with it and, and we say to people, if you get a letter from the CSO, please don't ignore it, please engage and please take part. Indeed. That's your message. Marion, it's a pleasure you. to talk to you. Thank you for Thank that. Thank you so much for talking Thanks for bye. joining us. Uh, bye-bye. Marion Ryan, Field Staff Coordinator for the Midwest region of the Central Statistics Office.
office if you get one of those letters please engage with them 1850-333-103 lines can I wish a very happy anniversary to special parents Michael and Anne McCarthy they're in Ballygaskin in Carrick Navarre and would you believe they are 59 years married today uh, your daughter Lorraine in Newmarket was on wanting to wish you all the very best 59 years of wedded bliss isn't that fantastic the big 60 next year <laughs> no doubt though you'll celebrate the 59th uh, this year as well. Congratulations uh, Michael and Anne McCarthy Bally Gaskin in Carrig Navarre OK we need to take a break. We have news at 12 midday on the way. We'll take a look at calls and comments that have been coming into the programme uh, today and also we'll turn our attention to gardening because Peter Dowdell our gardening expert will be joining us if you have a gardening question. You can ring Sadie R. Bernie at 1850 text or WhatsApp 0862 We've been talking about face masks and the need to wear face masks and the fact that it's mandatory now and uh, soon, I don't know how long it's going to take, uh, but you could get fined if you don't wear a face mask in a shop, in all kinds of retail settings and in shopping centres, etc. And there's some wonderful, very creative, talented people who are really good with a needle and thread and a sewing machine who've been making some wonderful masks, including one of our own listeners, a lady by the name of Claire Sweeney. Claire is from Rock Forest in Mallow and yesterday she sent us in these gorgeous homemade really beautiful colours an array of different colours some of them brightly coloured little ones for kids that were just fantastic uh, and she sent them in uh, to us she's been making them throughout the whole pandemic she's been sewn away like mad and she sells them for just two euro each and she gives all of the proceeds that she makes from the from these masks to her friend Ellen and Ellen runs a cat sanctuary so the money is going to a good cause as well but she contacted us and sent us on a night we put pictures up um, and I was saying put pictures up on our social media platforms yesterday so you might have got to see the brightly coloured uh, face mask that Claire sent in and I actually wore one of them yesterday afternoon I decided I'd try it out and it was gorgeous I felt really great with this brightly coloured mask on me anyway uh, the reason she's contacted us she is looking for a way to distribute the masks around the North Cork area ideally maybe a shop would uh, would take them uh, from her and then sell them for two euro that's what she wants to sell them for and the deal is then that the money goes to her friend Ellen who runs this cat uh, sanctuary. So we'll give it out there because we have all of Claire's contact details. If there is any shop in the North Cork area who would be willing to sell on these gorgeous, really beautifully made homemade face masks and be willing to sell them for two euro with the money going to the cat sanctuary. Uh, 1850 Maybe some of the charity shops might be interested in, in doing that as well. Let us know if you know of a shop and we can put you in contact with Claire and get, because I'd just love to see more of Claire's masks being sold for, for two reasons. For the brightness of them, because I think they're gorgeous, they'll cheer anybody up, but also the fact that this little cat sanctuary will benefit as well. Talking of face masks and it's tomorrow we're going to be talking with the Asthma Society giving advice to people who suffer from asthma who say they find it very difficult to wear a face mask. John contacted us who suffers from COPD and he can't also like asthmatics he finds it very difficult to wear a covering over his mouth. So he went and bought a visor. He said a lot easier to use than a mask so that would be his suggestion that's what we'll wait and see what we get from the Asthmatic Society but that's what I I would be thinking that they might be suggesting to people and those visors are very easily purchased all of the chemists 
most of the chemist uh, stores have them in stock and actually I've seen people I was out in a supermarket on Saturday and I saw a couple of ladies wearing walking around the supermarket wearing the visors I saw some of the shop assistants as well uh, using them so that might be a better option for people who can't wear a face mask somebody who suggested for asthmatics could they not wear a face mask made from a gauze type material would would that help them breathe better this listener has suggested if you really are having problems maybe go into your local chemist chat to your chemist they may be able to advise you on what you could use instead because when it becomes uh, mandatory and even though we're telling everybody to wear their face masks now but there will come a time in the not too distant future where you could end up being fined if you don't have a face mask on you inside in a supermarket or inside in a shop. Now a number of people commenting on travel and the fact that it was John and Clonakilty who contacted us to say he's going to Lanzarote couple of weeks time looking forward to his holiday and he's openly said he will not self-isolate and the main reason he is citing that he won't self-isolate for two weeks is because our own Taoiseach Michal Martin came back from Brussels he didn't self-isolate I did look into that and he doesn't need to self-isolate the rules don't govern ministers travelling abroad on essential business is the, is the reason that we're given but he says because they can't have one rule for them and another rule for us and because of that he won't self-isolate a number of people I have to say not happy with John's uh, comments Eileen in Mallow said that man John uh, who's going to Lanzarote has he any respect for life says Eileen why should he put other lives in danger if he's no regard for his own that's fine but why would he risk putting other people's lives at risk Eileen said extremely angry listening to John's attitude when he contacted the programme today Uh, Mary went a step further and said how ignorant is that man to suggest that he's going to Lanzarote when are people going to realise it's for our own good that the government are doing all these things and telling us not uh, to travel they are trying to suppress COVID-19 it's not a punishment that's the reason that they are are doing it Uh, so Mary very annoyed with our John in Clonakilty as well Hi Patricia hope you're all uh, good can't believe what I'm hearing with all of the people they just seem to be worried about luxury holidays abroad oh my god says this whatsapper stay at home have a lovely holiday at home. Ireland is such a beautiful place and the economy will need it, particularly when they've come back after being shut for three months or more. Come on, ladies and gentlemen, stay at home and stay safe. And that's signed by a cork man who puts some nice happy smiley emoji faces and emoji faces wearing sunglasses. And he's even flown two little Irish flags uh, to support the Irish at the same time. Staycation, please. Uh, John is on about me holding Martin, he didn't self-isolate. No, he didn't need uh, to. Okay, also... Heidi, this is on pillows. Remember the listener who said she, she's just going to go on day trips. She'd love to do staycations, but she's worried about pillows. That if you go into a hotel and you're lying down on, on a pillow that's been used by somebody else the previous night, could it be a breeding ground for COVID-19? I suggest that it couldn't because I think there's very strict rules and regulations on which hotels opened the Fault Ireland guidelines if you want to spend time uh, reading those. And, you know, the amount of cleaning that's going on in hotels... Uh, so for me, I think it would, it, you, you would be quite safe. But Heidi says, Patricia, I heard you speaking about the hotel pillows. Yes, the pillowcases are changed after every guest. But I don't think that the pillows themselves will be changed unless things have changed since I worked in hotels as pillows would take much longer to wash and dry every day. Heidi, though, has a suggestion. If people are worried about the pillows 
being a breeding ground for COVID-19, Heidi said, bring your own pillow with you. <laughs> Which is a good, good suggestion. Well done, uh, Heidi. I love when people sort of think outside the box rather than say, I can't go because I can't trust the pillows. Then bring your own pillow uh, instead. Staying on that, on the whole thing with hotels and the cleaning that goes on in hotels. Patricia, the hotels sign up to stuff, i.e. the guidelines that are put in place by uh, Falta Ireland and they do it to get business in. But in reality, they are only as good as their worst cleaner. And everyone knows how badly these people are paid and the long hours that they put in. There's no incentive for them, the cleaners, to do any better than they are already doing. I'll be sticking with my daycations It'll be better than naycations. We always holiday in Ireland, but hotels are crazily expensive. If they slash prices in good times, they would attract more of us. Isn't it funny that some of them now seem to be able to afford to slash their prices with all the precautions and all the extra cleaning that they are telling us that they are putting in place? I won't be conned into believing that things are as they say anyway, says a listener who's not trusting the amount of cleaning. Well, the one thing about cleaning is you'll see it yourself. I mean, if you walk into a hotel room and you don't think it's cleaned properly, then I'd be going straight back downstairs or buzzing downstairs saying, excuse me, can somebody come up and clean this room uh, again? Uh, But some people just feel, no, don't trust it, not... And people are very nervous and, and understandable, I think, with COVID-19. And for that reason, some people are saying, no, they are not going to go away on holidays this year. Someone else is saying, Patricia, people are spending too much time in restaurants. Many are spending more than the 90 minutes. Well, it's, it's 105, isn't it, is what, what is allowed. The system is worried that people are spending longer time inside in uh, restaurants. And then on the green list the green list that we have in place and the countries that you can go go to and that you won't have to self-isolate on the way home. There's 15 in total. Tim makes an interesting point, even though he says, I don't expect to be going away again and I don't think I've been abroad in the past 20 years. To be honest, says Tim, the Lewis tracks were being prepared when I was last in Dublin. Monaco. Tim sees with interest is on the green list and it's a gorgeous place to visit. But then Monica, Tim says, not a lot to do in Monaco and I would agree with him on that. He said, I could get fed up after a half a day in Monaco. What would I do? I might be tempted to spend more time in the French territory. I'm even take a drive into Italy. Most holidaymakers may feel the same. But if their accommodation address is Monaco, people can get away then with visiting COVID hot spots. He also cites that Gibraltar is on the green list. If it's your accommodation address, you could be an adventurous traveller and you could end up in Spain. You might even end up in Portugal. You could go by boat to Monaco and then return home without uh, restrictions. Will people do that? Yeah, well, yeah, they, they probably will, uh, Tim. You'd be OK about going from uh, Monaco into Italy because Italy is on the list. France isn't on the list. Will people try to circumnavigate the restrictions? Of course they will. Aren't we already seeing it already? Aren't we seeing Americans who have openly admitted to people that they flew into Belfast and hired a car and then drove down south because they knew that if they flew into Dublin or to Shannon or to Cork that they would have to sign saying where they were going to be staying for the next uh, two weeks. Didn't Didn't one of our listeners say that they spoke with an American tourist who the American tourist actually admitted we were the smart travellers. We came into Belfast so we didn't have to self-isolate. So, I mean, you'll always have people who will do that. Will you have Irish people doing it? Of course you will. Of course, but, you know, 
We talk about looking for a vaccine for COVID-19, but there's no vaccine for stupidity. But my big fear is, is when they come back, it's who they will pass it on to onto if they you know want to take a risk with their own lives that's fine but you know I keep saying to people stop and think if you get COVID-19 who do you then pass it on to and you then will have to live with that knowing that you could have caused somebody's death because of your utter stupidity in travelling abroad and not heeding the restrictions that were given. 1850 and Denise in West Cork is picking up on Mary Mary had contacted us to say she has a family holiday planned for 10 people. They are staycationing, they're going to lovely Donegal. And, but she says if the pubs and the casinos don't reopen, then they're going to cancel uh, the trip. And she feels the government needs to do something about opening pubs, opening casinos, particularly in tourist spots, because people want to go on holidays and they want to be able to do stuff. And she said they, they've, as a family of 10, they are considering cancelling their holiday if the pubs and the casinos are not open by the time they go to Donegal. Now, I don't know when they're planning, when they're actually going to Donegal, but she says they, they will cancel it if the pubs and casinos are not open. Well, that got Denise in West Cork thinking and she's texted us uh, to say, I cannot understand Mary's logic. Cancelling a holiday to beautiful Donegal if the pubs and the casinos are not open. If that is all they're going to Donegal for, then why bother? It's nuts. Mary and her gang should try getting out in the fresh air and experience our great mountains and beaches, etc. When are we going to get away from smoking, drinking and gambling? All done in one night, says Denise. Denise from West Cork and I have to say I went to Donegal for the first time a couple of years ago now was it two years ago we had a we organised a family reunion and we people travelled from all over Ireland and we've, we've relatives in Northern Ireland and people came from England and we all met in, in Donegal and, and we stayed, stayed in that uh, lovely little village of Muff in Donegal and we travelled out every day to various parts of uh, Donegal and Northern Ireland and you know it was when I was reading Denise's text during News at 12 there it got me thinking back to that holiday and what a lovely fantastic time we had in Donegal I mean nothing would be Cork but Donegal was beautiful neck of the woods and it was gorgeous and it was at being at the other end of the Wild Atlantic Way and interested in watching all the Wild Atlantic Way signs and, and all that and we had a fantastic holiday and it will go down I think in living memory from, from our family's point of view as just a great great uh, holiday and it, we were there for a week seven days we didn't actually go into a pub now the reason for it was uh, because there was such a big gang of us but because we'd, we had smallies like we had from the very youngest I think was five up to the oldest were in their 80s so we had a real and a real mix in between and we did any and that's not to say that we didn't have a, a drink we did but we socialised in the house you know we had one very large house that we uh, had rented and so a lot of the socialising went on uh, there but we didn't go to a pub at all and it's, and that wasn't a deliberate thing it just, it's just the way it happened so so you are right uh, Denise and West Cork you can have a wonderful holiday and you don't need to go anywhere near a pub, a club or a casino thank you for your text to 0862103103. I can see gardening questions coming in for Peter. Can you keep those coming, please? You can text or WhatsApp them or you can call uh, Sadie and uh, Bernie at 1850-333-103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. A reminder that Churchtown Community Council are fundraising to refurbish their community hall. They're asking people to donate a slate. It's €20 per slate and anyone who contributes over €100 goes in for a draw for an iPad. You can donate online at ifundraise.ie forward slash CTS 
Community Hall. Carrigaline Country Market is open on Fridays. They'll be open this Friday from half eight to half ten, and that's in the Carrigaline Band Hall. And Kiskane Parish are holding their collection for Cork Penny Dinners. That's happening next Sunday in the local community centre. Non-perishable goods, home baking, and cash would all be appreciated. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. By the way, I wanted to give a message to this because I heard this on the news um, earlier on when we're talking about, uh, you know, coming out of lockdown and we know that the phase four which should have kicked in on Monday it's not now going to kick in until the 10th of August with the warning that if we don't improve and if the cases rise continue to rise every day it's backwards we will be going I can't see us I certainly can't see us going back into full lockdown again but people are worried about it and we know that the government in effort are saying that we may have to reverse some of the things we've done you know some places that are open now may when they look at it again on the 10th of August rather than opening up they may actually decide to go backwards and, and close uh, some uh, put restrictions back in place which would be dreadful and I think it's what nobody wants but I listened with interest this morning to the DCU health professor Anthony Staines and he he's nervous particularly when we heard yesterday that there was 36 new cases and there was no deaths reported and that was that was certainly good news but there was uh, 36 new cases of uh, COVID-19 reported yesterday. Now we know the figures for Tuesday are always higher because the Monday figures are always lower but still 36 was kind of a worrying trend. So Dr Anthony Staines is saying we may need to look and some of the restrictions we've li- we've lifted we've lifted, and maybe we need to impose some of the restrictions and this is what he said earlier on the news. If we're going to bring this under control we're going to need to at least take one step backwards and say that, look people have to stay within their own county unless there's essential travel outside your county. And I appreciate the disruption that will cause. But if we can bring this under control before the kids go back to school, that is our best chance. I think that's what everyone, I think that's what all the experts are trying to do is to make sure that the schools do reopen in September. But I heard him this morning and it just struck me and that I'd play it out because I'd be interested to to see would others agree with that. He's the DCU health professor, Anthony Staines. We had a situation where we couldn't travel outside of our county. When we started with, we couldn't go further than two kilometres. Then they moved it to five kilometres and then we had to stay within our county and then suddenly we were all free again and we were able to travel uh, all over the country. Now I know from the staycation point of view and people going on holidays it would cause consternation I imagine in tourist areas if the powers that be decided to take on board with Anthony Staines has said and says yeah let's go back into that kind of a lockdown that you only travel within your own county. I mean we here in Cork fairly blessed. We have a big county. We have lovely beaches. We have lovely mountains. You know, we have lovely areas to visit. You know, I think we'd be okay. You feel for people in smaller counties uh, who may not have as a lot of, of tourist opportunities if they did want to go away on holidays. But I'd be interested in, would you agree with Anthony Staines that if the figures continue to rise, if we keep getting higher numbers of positive cases day on day and if the government and Neffet say we need to roll back on something is that something you'd be in favour on rolling back on that we all just stay within our own counties your thoughts welcomed 1850 at 333103 Audrey says I'd love to be going on holidays this year where would Audrey love to be going 
Australia. She's a brother who lives there, but she said, I simply can't go and I won't go until a vaccine comes. What is wrong with people, says Audrey, when she's hearing of people saying that they're going away on uh, holidays and um, and Australia, you wouldn't even get into Australia. They've locked down the country so uh, well. But I think, yeah, for a lot of people, international travel, until we get a vaccine. I'm with you, Audrey. I don't think I'll be going anywhere either until we have a vaccine that we know that works. And then a text says, Patricia, I thought the whole lockdown and the pandemic might have made people reflect more. I thought that it might make the unkind and the selfish people reflect and become kinder. I've experienced firsthand from my own selfish and unkind family that it didn't change them one iota. Has anybody else noticed any more kindness from those that didn't have it before the pandemic? Maybe some people will never change. The selfishness with people wanting to go abroad is just a typical example of this. Thanking you, says uh, a listener. doesn't put her name um, on on the text. Uh, yeah, I think in the early days of lockdown, there was there was a huge level of kindness, I think, shown. But it was... It had, it was often the kindness of strangers and often that's what does happen. It's it's kind, it's strangers will be the first to help out somebody or neighbours. Neighbours can and always have been great and how often have we heard people say on this programme that their neighbours are 10 times better than any of their family members and you're probably right. Some people will never change. You would have thought I think for most of us the lockdown in particular did give us all time to reflect but will we ever have, will, will some people never change? Probably not, uh, unfortunately. Uh, probably not. Tim's, Tim and you all, uh, thanks by the way. Uh, and I'm saddened to hear that your family are not kind uh, to you. Uh, Tim says, did I hear you right? The doll is breaking up in eight days and they're going on holidays. Is that a joke? They've had four months off, says Tim in y'all. I ask, do they have any consideration for what's going on around them or is it just a gravy tra- train from the time they head in to the time they go uh, out? Now, I know that we were told even before the government was formed that the TDs were likely to work throughout July and return to the... the they were unlikely to take their 10 weeks off. They normally get a 10-week summer recess and we were told it was likely that they would work with uh, work throughout July, then take a break and return sometime in uh, August or sometime in September. And from what I can work out, uh, it they are going to break up at the end of July into probably maybe even into August. They'll take all of August off. Now, I've seen one piece, but this is from earlier this month, that they are going to return the first Tuesday in September and I'm trying to get confirmation on that but I think it's about six weeks they're expected to take off but it should have been ten weeks so I suppose they'll they'll say they're taking a shorter break even though all of the politicians will say just because the government is in recess it doesn't mean that they're that they are on a full holiday they are still uh, working away Hi Patricia I was listening to the news this morning especially in regards to the advice about Covid and travelling the government and all of the three parties are talking out of the side of their mouths with advice as I feel is nefarious and to think of the astronomical amount of money they're getting to do this and now the government are getting an increase in their wages and taking six weeks holidays the whole lot just make me sick and ordinary people are devastated by all of these events I feel they have no shame John says the same rules must apply to the Taoiseach he's showing bad example by not self-isolating when he came back from Brussels and Neve says Patricia oh this is advice to 
the top of the show. Remember, I had a call in from Sheila Nocknagui, who is 79. Her brother's 82 and their sister is coming coming to visit. She's 76. That's obviously great excitement because they haven't seen each other since March and lockdown and all, all of that. And Sheila contacted us to say, should her sister, when she comes to visit, wear a mask? Sheila's son is insisting that all visitors, including Sheila's sister, should wear a mask. And Sheila is wondering about that. And I kind of felt, God, when you haven't seen each other that long, social distance and all that, don't be hugging as much as you probably want to give your sister, your younger sister, a great big hug. But should should they wear should they wear the mask? Neve says, Neve was listening to that. She said, I think we are entering the common sense phase of this pandemic, presumably. Sheila's sister has been cocooning the same way as Sheila as her brother has been doing and adhering to all of the regulations and therefore should be equally low risk as is Sheila and her brother. They can still keep a safe distance without stifling a very special visit with a mask. I hope this helps. That's a great piece of common sense advice, uh, Neve. I agree 100% uh, with you. And as I said to Sheila earlier when I read out her, her comment, if it's a fine day and we have had some nice weather and it's looking like there's a kind of a mixed bag, I think, across next week. But I think into the bank holiday weekend, according to AccuWeather, it's going to be good as well. That perhaps the visit could be done out in the garden because when we're, we're told when we're outside that we're even uh, safer. But failing that, if you do all have to sit around the kitchen table, just keep keep the two metres uh, apart. But Neve is right. Don't stifle what's going to be a lovely visit, getting together and catching up and seeing each, each other again. It'll be very difficult to have that visit while one or both of you or all three of you are wearing a face mask. Let us know, by the way, how the trip, go, how the visit goes. I, I hope it's a wonderful, wonderful trip uh, or visit. 1850 And just on the pillows and people being worried about using a pillow in a hotel and would it be clean and all of that. Uh, Angela said, no need to bring your own pillow to a hotel if you're nervous about using hotel pillows just bring a waterproof pillow protector you slip it on when you arrive and just remove it when you are leaving and you have no worries about the pillow that's from Angela thanks Angela 1850 let's take a break and we are back talking gardening with our gardening expert Peter Dowdle theirishgardener.com Peter Dowdell, the Irish gardener, our resident gardener, joining us. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Trish. How are you? I'm very well, and how are you? I am very good. Enjoying the sunshine. That's uh, great, isn't it? And the, 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 if you're looking at AccuWeather, because I know Matt Aaron won't give long-range forecasts, but the AccuWeather are saying they're predicting very good weather over the August Bank holiday weekend and into August. Well, I am taking Friday off. To, to go on a day trip, vacationing day trip. Great. Uh, so we'll have good weather from Friday. Okay. <laughs> Are you going anywhere nice? <laughs> uh, I, 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 I know we'll just go locally to the beach, might go to Fountainstone or across the yeah. or somewhere like that. It won't go too far. Yeah, okay. Well, well, enjoy. Straight in with a lot of questions. Uh, listener says, Peter, some of my fruit trees produced no fruit and the leaves have a bubbled appearance but are otherwise healthy. I think they are red currant as the black currant in the same area are, are fine. Uh, and there's also then a question about nettles. So just deal with that. Now, she has sent on a picture but it's only arrived in so I didn't get a chance to send it on. And it does look like a bubbled appearance on the leaves. That, yes, that, that's what's called a currant blister. Um, so it's normally normally caused, sorry, it's not normally, it is caused by an aphid which feeds on the, the, the leaf early in the year, but the aphid is, has actually left the plant now. So uh, whilst it looks very, very dramatic, the damage is done 
there's no need to take any action now because the aphid has actually left the plant. So it, it did the damage earlier in the year. So I wouldn't be too worried about it. Maybe give it a winter wash um, with an organic winter wash, obviously during the winter months, to stop any aphids overwintering in it. But in terms of doing anything to it now, there's no need. The damage is done, but the, the good news is the damage isn't long-term. It's okay, and then the listener also says, how can I treat nettles other than digging them out? They are completely taken over and are spreading. I've been using them as a natural fertiliser, but now they're spreading through the seeds. Okay, well, yes, they, they do make a great, a fabulous natural fertiliser. If you wanted to harvest some nettles, just cut the greenery uh, and, and place them into a hessian bag. And then you can put that hessian bag into water uh, and, and let it seep out over a day or two because that will give you a high nitrogen liquid feed. But the important bit is, as she's discovered, to do all this before the nettle has set uh, seed because otherwise you can transport the seed. Now, the hessian bag will stop the seed from getting out into the seed. Uh, but otherwise, yes, you can be just spreading the problems. So you want to do it ideally. If you're doing it now, remove the flowers and remove the seeds or ideally do it earlier. It does make a brilliant plant tonic. But how do you deal with them? I'm afraid instead of, uh, as opposed to digging them out, I, it really is your only option. The good news is, okay, they, they, they really do sting and they can really hurt the skin. But if you wrap up against them with good gloves and long sleeves and long pants and leave no exposed skin, if you go at them, then they do come out quite easily. That's the good news. They're, they're not like some hugs which, uh, which will you know, really hang on to the soil. And with nettles, they will come out relatively easily. And you know what? It's a very rewarding job. As soon as you spend an hour or two digging nettles, you've a lot done and it's instant. Uh, I'm not going to suggest any chemical weed killer, I'm afraid, because I think those days have to be gone. Um, the, a lot of, the, a lot of our, our butterfly caterpillar will feed on nettles, but that's not to say you want the whole garden taken over by them. I understand that. But really, just going at them with a, with a shovel and a pitchfork is the best, the best approach. Okay, hi, uh, Trish and Peter. My cousin has a well-established monkey tree set in her garden. This year, it's gone very yellow. It looks like it's diseased. She wants to know, should she be watering it more? Could that be the problem? Or would you suggest taking it out of the ground? And what would be the best to do to try to retrieve and save the tree? Okay, when she says monkey tree, it could be one of two plants. There is a plant called the monkey puzzle, which is auricaria, but I think it's probably more likely that she's, what a lot of people refer to as the monkey tree, is the cordyline. So, okay. uh, the cordyline, and I, 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 from listening to the rest of the question, I'm guessing this is what it is, because uh, they do suffer from a fungal, fungal cordyline rust, which is, leads to an orange-yellow uh, mottling on the leaf, leaf spot on the leaf. Um, no, don't. It doesn't need over. It doesn't need any more watering, and it's an established tree by the sound of it. Anyway, so it shouldn't need watering. Really, it'll be getting all it needs from the soil. So, water isn't the, the problem. It's got this fungal problem, and the best plan of approach here is to remove all the infected leaves. What we call cultural control. It's kind of fancy way of putting it in, in, in the trade. So, remove any infected leaves, any orange yellow leaves. Now, don't worry if, if the cord line looks very, very naked at the end of that, because. Um, it, it can do, but it'll regenerate in no time at all. But if you don't remove all the infected leaves, you're leaving the infection on the plant, and then all the new leaves will keep coming out with this this discoloration, which it, it probably won't kill the cord line, but it will certainly weaken it over years. So remove all the infected leaves, get rid of them, dump them off site somewhere, uh, and then drench the, the 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 soil around the cord line, and if possible, if it's not too high, the kind of growing tip. Uh, with the solution of copper sulfate and water, which is a, a great organic broad-spectrum fungicide, which I'm always recommending in your program, Trish, because it really is a good go-to for fungal uh, infections. So that's what I do. But it will come good, even just the cultural control on its own, if it's not too far, 
if it's not gone too far, if you just remove all the infected leaves, it should come good even after that. Okay, listener says, for Peter, I sowed all year lettuce seed in compost in containers. All grew, but after a few weeks, they got a bit brown. They're still growing well, but there's a brown tinge. Any idea why? Well, you know, without seeing it, it's difficult to answer. It could be several things. It, it could be, my first thought was probably just drought, particularly in composting containers. They will dry out and dry out very, very quickly. I know myself because I grow lettuce in containers myself. Um, so it could be that. But it, so if, if some of the older leaves have a brown tinge, but then you, you've been watering it fine and the new ones are green, then I wouldn't be worried at all. That's fine. But if all the leaves are showing a brown tinge, it could be actually a symptom of the opposite. It could be a symptom of overwatering, which can lead to a rot, a, a lettuce rot as well. But You'd expect if it was any kind of fungal or any other type of infection on the lettuce, it would be more than a brown tinge. It would just die off. So I'm kind of giving a bit of a vague answer on that one, that it could be either under or over watering. But send a picture in uh, and that would certainly make it more clear and I might be able to give a better answer. Yeah, if you can kind of WhatsApp it to 0862103103. And in Canturk, my St. John's wart is gone out of control covered in flowers but too big for where it is is there anything I can do with it I suppose it's the wrong time to trim it back says Anne in Kenturk it depends what Anne means by out of control because there's I remember having this conversation with somebody years ago with two of us two of us gardeners as to which common names vary from plant to plant so there are different species of hypericum which is what the St. John's work is and some people refer to hypericum calicinum or hypericum olympicum a different species of hypericum as the St. John's work uh, and other people then refer to all hypericums as St. John's work. So the reason I bring that up, Trish, is I wonder which... It, she obviously has a hypericum, and if you don't know it by the name hypericum or St. John's work, a lot of people will also know it as the, the plant rose of Sharon, lovely yellow flower at the moment. Um, so depending on which species she has growing will kind of determine what we do here, because if it's something like hypericum calicinum, which is the straight species, that is a bit of a vigorous hug of a plant. That does take over. It's a very attractive plant, um, good for pollinators, but it, do, it does take over. So if you need to, if, if it's taking over, if the start of Anne's question that it's, it's kind of going out of control, if it's going out of control by spreading by underground root and layering, I wouldn't be too concerned as to when I take action because I would take action. However, if it's one of the, the, the varieties that isn't vigorous and isn't taking over, that it's just getting a bit physically too big over the ground, uh, then yes, I wouldn't cut it back yet. I would leave it flower away and do its thing. And it, you could cut it back come September time. But, uh, but I wouldn't know. So if, if, if you can kind of understand the answer, if it's taking over by spreading underground and, and, and going that way, take action now. If it's just that the shrub itself has got a bit too large over the ground, wait till September and cut it back then. OK, Mike says, I've got box hedge in cone-shaped containers and it should be green, but it's gone brown. Any cure? Yeah, if it's in containers, it, it, it's either hungry or thirsty. So the, the good news is, well, I don't know if it's good news again without seeing a picture, but... Uh, if it's just kind of a <laughs> defined brown, if you like, if it's just kind of a yellowy brown, uh, it should come good from being either planted out or repotted and given a good, good soaking, uh, and not just once, keep it watered until it starts going back. And even a bit of plant food, like the Nature Safe Atlantic Seaweed Feed, will green it up quite quickly. Um, so it just depends, as I say, as to how brown. If it's yellowy brown, there's a thing called temporary wilting point and permanent wilting point in horticulture, and it's pretty self-explanatory as to which is which. So a plant will recover from temporary wilting point. So if these if these aren't too far gone, they will come back with just water, but you will have to plant them in the ground or into a bigger pot. Uh, if it's if it's gone past that, if it's really brown and dropping all its leaves and the, the twigs, the, the stems are snapping like twigs, 
well then it's, it's gone. too far gone I'm it's afraid gone. Uh, Jane in Mallow how do I get my hydrangeas to look blue they look like they're burnt there's buds on them but the leaves look dead God, a lot of questions today that you need to see photographs to be sure yeah. but um, well I, I posted a video on my own Facebook page just during the week on how to change the colour of your hydrangea because an awful lot of people are looking for advice on that so if you want to look at that it's the Irish Gardener on Facebook uh, and just go into the videos and you'll see one of the most recent ones is how to how to change the colour of your hydrangea. So that'll explain that uh, very briefly. If you have a pink one, uh, if you have limey soil, which is soil with a pH above 7, uh, they, that will give you pink hydrangeas. Not everybody knows this, of course, that hydrangeas are, the colour of the hydrangea is, is sensitive to the pH of the soil. So if you have alkaline soil, it'll be pink. If you have acid soil, it will be blue. And without going too far into the details, Trish, uh, if you want to turn a blue one pink, apply lime. If you want to turn a pink one blue, apply aluminium sulfate. But as I say, have a look at the, the video there in the Irish Garden. You'll see it. it, it but this might this sounds a bit different. That the flower buds are there. Uh, certainly, give it if she wants to turn it pink, give it lime, or vice versa, give it aluminium sulfate. But the leaves burning are more curious, and that's what I'd want to see a photograph of because it's certainly not unless they're growing in pots where it could be drought damage. Uh, I wouldn't say it's drought damage in the open ground after the rain we've had over the last couple of months. Um, so I would want to see a picture of that because, again, that could be a fungal problem. But if they're in pot, do give them a drenching with water and that should, it should improve them. OK, listener wants to know, Peter, can I take slips off of rose, roses at this time of year, right at yeah. the wrong time? I, lo- I, love the, I love the easy questions at yeah. the right time of the year. Yes, you can. So take a, a four, about a four to five inch cutting uh, from the, this year's growth of the rose from the top, top. Remove any flower buds or terminal buds. Make sure the base of the cutting is at a node, which is quite simply where a leaf meets the stem. Remove all but the top two leaves uh, into a bit of rooting powder, into compost, should root away quite freely at the moment. And they're easy enough for them to grow? They are, really. Yeah. Uh, some, sorry, some of the varieties are easy, Trish. Some of the more modern varieties aren't, aren't always as easy. That's why they're grafted. But I've always, as you know, since our very first day talking on the radio, my answer is always give it a try. Give it a try. Ten, give it a try. Yeah. Maria has uh, Mount Brescia that's finished flowering. Should she cut it back now and by how much? No, I wouldn't. But the, the Mount Brescia is, is a plant that will absolutely be fine on its own, needs no attention. If you want to cut it back for tidiness or cleanliness or something like that, you can. Uh, but do you need to? No, absolutely not. Uh, Mary has a bank of wild heather on a rocky part of a field. It's dying, but it's dying in patches. Some of it is still flowering. How can she save it? A bank of wild heather on a rocky yeah, part of a field. I, I'd be slow to take any action if it's something that's in the wild. It, it, could, it could be several things. It could be drought damage from earlier in the year. If it's wild and established, like if, it, if it's there a while, which I presume it is, uh, then it's unlikely to be drought damage. It is much more likely to be some kind of a fungal problem again, which which could af- affect heathers. Uh, I'm presuming from her question that this is an established planting, and yeah. not not, yeah. not a new planting uh, or not a new recurrence of its wild. Um, you, the only thing I would suggest is the copper sulfate again, maybe dr- make drench the, the good areas with uh, a solution of copper sulfate and water, mix it at the rate of 35 grams to one and a half litres of water. Water it on the, the good heathers. Don't do it on a very sunny day now because that will burn it. And don't do it more than once a year because it's copper sulfate into the ground. You only use it once a year uh, maximum. So drench the good ones with the copper sulfate because it does work very good as a preventative or very well as a preventative. Um, that's really all I would suggest for that. Okay, all right. Listen, enjoy your your breakaway, your your staycation away at the weekend. Uh, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> 
Thanks, Richard. Thanks Bye-bye. a million. Bye-bye. That is uh, Peter Dowdell, uh, the Irish uh, Guardian. You can go to his Facebook page where he does uh, some really great little tutorials. They're great little videos uh, to watch. Uh, Catherine in Cork, just to finish off, used to teach home economics. This is for people who are nervous about going to hotels. She bought a travel home steamer. She steams her clothes when she brings them in from shops just to make sure that they're absolutely clean and she said you can put a few drops of scented oil it makes it smell nice. She thinks it's a fantastic machine and she says you can also take it on holidays and you can steam your bed clothes if people are nervous about staying in hotels and uh, B&Bs. Okay, that's where we leave it for today. Thanks to Bernie and to Sadie for taking your calls and we'll be back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Now a reminder tomorrow we will be talking with the Asthma Society particularly with regards to wearing face masks until tomorrow at 10. I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.